Welcome to Gaze of the World and I, a podcast series by Belong. I am Swati Joshi, your host. In this series, we will talk to various authors whose work explores the myriad of experiences of individuals who are understanding and exploring their sexuality against the facade of family, community, and the city. In each episode, we will speak to different authors to understand their journey as writers, their inspirations of writing on the subject, the challenges and the rewards, and what they hope their work will end up doing for their readers. Through this series, we hope to have conversations that can bring us closer to the common human experiences of loss, of love, and of finding oneself against the backdrop of patriarchy and heteronomy. Hello and welcome to this episode of Gaze of the World and I. Today, we are talking to Ruth Vanita, the author of Dancing with the Nation, Courtesans in Bombay Cinema. Ruth is an academic, an activist and an author who has contributed to literature around gender, sexuality and culture. Currently a professor at the University of Montana in USA, she previously taught at Delhi University for many years. She co-founded India's first nationwide feminist magazine called Manushi, a journal about women in society, which combined academic research and grassroots activism. An author of several books such as Gender, Sex and the City, Urdu Rekhti Poetry in India, Memory of Light, which is a novel, Love's Right, Same-Sex Marriage in India and the West, and many more. She has also translated many works of fiction and poetry from Hindi and Urdu to English. In today's episode, we will speak to her about her book, Dancing with the Nation, Courtesans of Bombay Cinema, which is a groundbreaking study of courtesans and courtesan imagery in 235 films, throwing light on the role that the courtesan figure played in shaping the modern Indian erotic, political and religious imagination. Exploring the courtesan figure through various lens of history, the nation, religion and eros, we will embark on a journey of understanding the challenge this figure puts to the patriarchal setup of family, of marriage and of sexuality. Stay tuned for a conversation that explores Ruth's journey of writing this book, the challenges and the discoveries that she made, and what she wants her readers to take away from it. Firstly, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. To begin with, I actually wanted to sort of start off with this whole idea of, you know, when one says the word tawaif, there's a very cliched sort of an image that comes in mind. So, you know, you have a Kathak dancer who's surrounded by admiring men, drinking liquor, She's dancing in this beautiful sort of a Haveli kind of a space. And she's also shown as, or that's what comes in our mind, that she's, you know, involved in sexual activities that are not really acceptable by societal norms. As a Kathak dancer myself, I have heard and experienced almost a sort of a disdain for even being a Kathak dancer and being like wanting to say dance like Madhuri in Devdas. So I wanted to sort of understand from you, why did you want to, talk about and write about the Tawaifs in this book? Okay, to begin with, I use the word Tawaifs when relevant, but the title is Courtesans in Bombay Cinema. And that is because there are many courtesans portrayed in Bombay Cinema who are not Tawaifs. For example, there are lots portrayed from the ancient past. Okay, there are several films about them and the word Tawaif was not used at all. There are also there's a, films about Devdasis, there's films from Maharashtra where other words are used. So yeah, the wife is about a certain kind of North Indian courtesan, right? So that's one thing. 
Why did I want to write about it? Because I found two or three very inaccurate generalizations being made by film critics and generally accepted by everyone, which also relates to what you said about the view of the Dwayne. One is many film critics have sort of stated that before the 90s, women are portrayed as either a good girl or a vamp. And that's it. When they say this, they are ignoring the wife's courtesans completely because courtesans are both usually portrayed as good women and they're not exactly vamps. Most of them, especially in the earlier films, are fully covered. The film like Sada, fully covered. So when you make this kind of generalization that they're all good girls versus vamps, you are treating the wives as if they are not women. But they are women. They are a group of women, right? The second completely false generalization was and this comes from equating courtesans with Tawaif to some extent, but first to say that Tawaif, everybody, when you say Tawaif, even say courtesan, thinks of the Islamicate, whatever that is, and thinks that all of them are Muslims or most of them are Muslims and their whole culture is Muslim and Islamicate, that's what it means. And this is absolutely wrong. In fact, Salim Kidwai had written a report for Jamia Milia on this subject of courtesans in movies. And I had helped him with that. And he did a count where he found that he looked at 30 films. In that, he found 34 were Hindu, 33 were Muslim, and 18 were indeterminate, which I'll come back to, which is very important. And he found that 18 of those 33 Muslim women appeared in two films, Pakiza and Umrajan. Now, I would say that when people generalize about the wives, they are mostly thinking of three to four films, Pakiza, Umrajan, Devdas, and Mughal Azam, the two Umrajans. That's it. But there are hundreds of films, very important films, like Amar Prem, like Sadhana. They don't fit in this pattern. Now, I counted for this book, I counted courtesans in 147 films from 1939 to 2015. And I found there were 142 Hindu women, 59 Muslim, and 56 indeterminate ones in 147 films. And indeterminate is important because when they have names like Pyari, like Hira, etc., you Gulabo, you can't say whether they are, unless there's some other marker, you can't say whether they are Muslim or Hindu. This is the only group of characters in Bombay Sino, significant group, where you wear the caste, where the religion is not always evident. And this makes sense because the courtesans lived a very hybrid life, as they often say in films themselves, and in real life as well. My earlier book before this is called Gender, Sex and the City. It was about Urdu literature in late 18th, early 19th, well, actually the whole of the 19th century, and a certain kind of poetry there. I won't go into that, but what I realized from doing that research was that courtesans were the female intellectuals of the time. They were high-earning women, they lived in matrilineal, female-dominated households, and they had not only love, love relationships with men, but friendships with men, which were equally important. They also had relationships with each other. They were poets, they were dancers, they were many things, and they were not sex workers. So the way these days we think in later Bombay films, I should say, from 80s onwards, the wife becomes simultaneous with Randi or with the sex worker, and that is not at all what they were. They were having what we would call serially monogamous relationships with men, and often they got married. A lot of them got married in later life. And they knew who the fathers of their children were. Mostly they knew. So they were not simply sex workers. There is a difference, right? So to correct these two or three wrong generalizations, that was one of my main reasons for writing the book. Right. Yeah, I mean, this was a leading question only that you just mentioned that, you know, there's especially after the 70s and the 80s in your book also, you talk about how the courtesans become almost like synonymous with prostitute. And this has something to do with the whole 1857 revolt and how sort of that 
the Britishers kind of changed the narrative. Can you talk a little bit about how this narrative also sort of clashed with the way courtesans were then being perceived and then also later on being portrayed? I mean, how is this whole complex situation working and what kind of implications did it have on the courtesans themselves? Up to 1857, the British were dominating India, or at least many parts of India, fiscally, financially. But culturally, the two cultures continued side by side, and Indian cultures, whether Hindu or Muslim or any other Sikh, were not really controlled and dominated. The education system, etc., were not dominated by the British. After the defeat of the revolt in 1857, in North India at least, may be different. In North India, after that defeat among the educated elites, there's a sense of we have to remake ourselves and become more like the British if we have to fight back against them. And that's what people did. And they became, and this applies across the board from left to right, including nationalists, Gandhians, communists, everyone. There is a sense of we have to be heterosexual, we have to be monogamous, we have to become like that and pretend that our entire past was like that as well. So, and this is, you can see it clearly, the British, I shouldn't say all the British, many of the British who came to India, they really enjoyed Indian culture, they enjoyed the courtesans, they enjoyed the same-sex sexuality, they enjoyed many things. But the rulers, the authorities after 1857, they bring in a lot of laws which change things like the anti-sodomy law, Section 377. They also bring in laws to regulate the courtesans where they treat them as sex workers. They make no difference between the sex workers and the courtesan. And that's how they saw them. And also they bring in their education system makes people ashamed of just pleasure for its own sake. And not, this is not just sexual pleasure, any pleasure, drinking, any pleasure that is for its own sake. And that is the sort of uh, mindset that we inherit. And I say we over the next 100 years. So Indians inherit a particular type of Victorian Puritanism where everything we do has to have a moral purpose, an educational, a social purpose, change society, do something, whether we are reading, whether we are anything we do, the songs we are singing, whatever we are reading, it has to be to change society, make things better, to make ourselves better and all of this. So just doing things for pleasure becomes uh, is seen as wrong and so courtesans who are providing not just sexual pleasure but pleasure in conversation pleasure it's an art that they cultivated the art of conversation pleasure in dance in song etc all that and the poetry that went along with it by male poets as well all of it becomes suppressed it gets lost in libraries etc so that's what happens and then in real life also this is enriched but in real life as the patrons of the courtesans change from being kings, princes, noblemen, as those people are moved to the margins, then the patrons become businessmen, contractors, etc., who want different type of music. They don't want the classical music. And this is actually portrayed in films rather nicely, whether, you know, there's a film called Yatra, which portrays Dreka, which portrays this very well. So gradually, the courtesans have to wear less and less clothing. They used to be always fully dressed, except for the face and hands. They have to wear less and less clothing. They have to perform much faster numbers, etc., and gradually that whole change happens over the next 100 years. A lot of them have to get married. A lot of them sink into poverty and into actual sex work. And then the fortunate few move into cinema, into theater, first in theater, then into cinema. And they are actually the shapers of cinema. And that's one of the things I discuss in the book, the first women directors, the first women producers, the choreographers, the first actresses and singers, dancers. They're all from courtesan backgrounds, including some very famous names, various things in cinema, but they shape the portrayal of courtesan characters. And this changes over time because in the 40s, 50s, 60s, the directors, the male directors, they actually knew courtesans, women from courtesan backgrounds. These were their colleagues. And so they knew what they were talking about much more. And by the 90s, 80s, 90s, there are no more, very few courtesans in real life. So now the directors are getting their ideas from many places, from movies themselves. They're not really 
getting, and they also, what they know is bar dancers and sex workers, that's what they see. And so they start portraying courtesans in that way. You know, another point I forgot to say is that many film critics say that up to the 90s, all films were male-oriented, with one or two exceptions, like Mother India, all films were male-oriented. That is the major character, the protagonist was a man. All right. And it's only in the 90s that this begins to change with Madhuri Dixit. This is absolutely wrong. And because what they're doing is they're omitting all the courtesan films. In the courtesan films, I looked at 235 films. For this book, I watched 235 films. Every major actress plays the role of a courtesan. But why? Because the courtesan character has agency, has mobility, agency and desire, but agency otherwise in life too. This is the first group of women portrayed in cinema as working women. The first group portrayed as single women, the first group portrayed as single mothers, the first group portrayed to form chosen families, all of these things. So there are numerous films that we that most people don't think of. And there were lots of female oriented films, films like, as I said, Amar Prem and Sardana and Sankharshan, where the courtesan figure has equal billing with the male figure. It's an equally important actor and she gets the same amount of attention in the story. Right. It also was sort of eye opening for me as well as I was reading it because one is most of these films are films I haven't seen. So it kind of gave me a chance to at least look at song videos and understand what exactly were you also trying to talk about? Because you're right, like there's a constant sort of very uncomplicated way in which we are told about courtesans or even like we're not even told about these characters as being characters. They're there. So I wanted actually to understand you were talking about, you know, how in films like Amar Prem and even a film that you've mentioned called Mandi, there are realistic portrayals of you know, how the courtesan households and how that entire family, if I may use that word, functions. If we look at cinema today, and if we look at, say, the characters that are built for women, what kind of impact do you think does this courtesan character past have on today's portrayal of women characters in cinema? A lot, because as the actual courtesan actresses and directors were replaced by middle-class women directors and actresses, but this, I've argued in the, the chapters are named family, work, eros, and I've argued that idea of, say, eros, many simplistic generalizations would be, oh, the Thayef is just a sex object in movies. And she's absolutely not. It's much more mixed than that. I wouldn't use the word realistic in a simple way either, because a movie is not realistic about anything. No movie is realistic. It's a mixture of realism and imagination and a projection, right? But the idea of what is erotic, the Indian erotic imagination, I think, is shaped to a large extent by movies. Like, what is erotic? Pan as an erotic symbol, dancing as an erotic symbol, a certain kind of song as an erotic symbol, Hunguru as an erotic symbol. And we find all these symbols gradually being taken over by the middle-class female character, the character as well as the real woman. But on the screen, when she wants to seduce the boyfriend, then she, I have given examples in the, in the book, she takes on some of these things. She puts the gadra in her hair, she presents the pan, and she woos him, and then she, yeah. So this is what the, the wife, she pouring out wine. See, the wives are always shown pouring out wine. The middle-class woman pours out tea, and then the shapes, as changes. And now, of course, the middle-class female character also pours out wine, right? And she changes, and she drinks as well. So the wife was not usually shown drinking. She was shown pouring it out for the man. So as times change, but also, I think, the portrayal of what is erotic, Today, it's largely shaped by American ideas of what is erotic, but up to at least the 90s and early 2000s, and even to some extent today, that the idea of the courtesan, that imaginative past, it does shape what is considered erotic, right? So that is the way. Another example I could give is of chosen family. It's a central I've written and others have written elsewhere that chosen family is one of the central themes of Bombay cinema 
where you have the best friends, usually the male best friends, and they treat each other's families as their own families. They call the other guys mother and sisters, mother and sister, and they do everything for them. Also, apart from that, they also have neighbors and friends, and they choose their own families, and they form these, right? And this is, to some extent, true of real life as well. But women don't are not usually shown doing this. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 50s, women characters can't do this because they don't have the same amount of mobility and the same freedom to mix with others. Yeah, they can mix at most with women, but they can't mix with men as freely. The only women characters who can do this, and a lot of these, there are a lot of these, are the courtesan characters. They are able to move about. They are the first group of women in Bombay cinema show traveling on their own in trains and cars, etc., driving their own cars, owning their own property. And this was true of real life too. In the 19th century, there's a historian found, and I also found, they were paid very high salaries for working at court, the courtesan figures. I found, for instance, that in the early 19th century, courtesan was paid an amount in a month, which was the equal to the state budget for the local hospital. So that it's a high salary. And they were also the first women, apart from queens and so on, who owned property in their own names. And they were in the highest income tax bracket in the middle, middle of the 19th century. So this is true, but Bombay cinema does show this. In the 50s, these women are shown owning their own homes, owning their own cars, driving their own cars. There's a film called Bank Manager that I analyzed, which is very interesting. They are shown in Bank Manager. She's the only woman in my film who reads a a very famous song, which we don't often realize is sung by a courtesan to a man. She's seducing him with this song, right? Yeah, so in terms of chosen family, there are numerous films which show Mamta as an example. There's another one who's a Gumti Kekinare, which shows a courtesan character adopting a man as her brother. And then they adopt a child and bring up that child together. There's more than one film showing this, right? Amal Prem is an example where she has this relationship with a man who has an unhappy marriage and his wife beats him. And she adopts a local child and then she and then ultimately the child takes her home. There's a lot of goddess imagery also in the movie, in many of these movies, showing the courtesan as a goddess figure of various kinds, as Durga, as Ganga, as Sita, as Yashoda, etc. So yeah, this idea of chosen family is strongly shaped by courtesan characters forming these chosen families. And then as far as biological family too is concerned, in a conventional family, I should say, a man has to look after his parents and a woman would leave. And this is from the 50s. So a 1959 film called Char Dil And in this, a courtesan is having an affair with a, a guy, a chauffeur, Dilawar, and he proposes marriage and she's very happy about it. But then she says, she obviously assumes that her mother who lives with her will live with them. And Dilawar says, no, I can't have a tawaif living in the house because her mother is a tawaif. Now, many courtesans who started working in movies, they themselves stopped working as courtesans, but their mothers, their families were, right? So Piari says, do I have to leave my mother? And the lover says, oh, what is so special? Every girl leaves her mother when she marries. And then Piari says, she makes this statement about the difference between a matrilineal and a patriarchal household. She says, you are right, every girl leaves her mother, but a wife's daughter does not leave her mother. Those other mothers have homes and husbands and relatives. A wife's rishtedari, that is kinship, culminates in her daughter. So daughter is the most important child in a wife household. They wanted daughters, not sons. So she says, I can leave the whole world for you, but I cannot leave my mother for you. So then uh, he says, and then he repeats, I can't have a wife in the house. Piyari retorts, she's not a wife, she's my mother. And at the end, he has a change of heart and he tells her, your mother is my mother and only then she marries him. So this kind of statement, you know, you don't find any other conventional hero in making in the Bombay movie house. Yeah, that was also one of the lines that I marked and underlined as I was reading it. Also, as you were talking about, you know, this, especially in Amar Prem, I think that's what stayed with me, this whole idea of them having a 
having a relationship which is like family but it's not a sexual relationship they're living with each other so there's also this construct that has been created in cinema that you know of what a marriage should look like and what a relationship should look like and it's generally you know it's very heterosexual in its in its portrayal and then there are the wives and courtesans who are not particularly confined to this entire structure and they are sort of i mean this is how i saw it that they are kind of like the opposing factor in this entire situation and there were these very interesting sort of things that you talk about where some courtesan characters are shown as they die in the end or something that happens it's not a happy ending very few films show a happy ending or if she decides to get married then you know then she's in a respectable place and you were researching this and when you were watching all these films and writing this book how was this clash sort of working like what was really going on how did it kind of affect even the way you know the storylines were created in cinema like what did you observe while you were watching this this whole clash changes gradually over time and i think pakiza has a lot to answer for pakiza is a great film for the music i think and for meena kumari apart from that its portrayal of the courtesan life is largely wrong and she makes these she's made to make these absurd statements like i'm like a walking corpse if i'm a courtesan or if i'm a wife and i'm like a walking corpse and just a whole lot of nonsensical dialogue like that and this idea before that in the 40s 50s 60s there are many courtesan films that end happily some of them end happily with marriage even though the courtesan is not a virgin and i should uh, even later in 80s to the examples of this i've given some examples the courtesan is not a virgin but she still does marry and have a happy ending that way and i should say they are all heterosexual relationships the one thing that bombay cinema doesn't show about courtesan life which is very clear from the 1918 century poetry and prose is the female female relationships it doesn't show that sometimes it suggestively gestures towards it but mostly the relationships are heterosexual but they're not the absolutely conventional heterosexual relationships so yeah to come back to the endings another kind of happy ending which you have in some of the earlier films is that she remains a courtesan she doesn't die and she doesn't get married she remains a courtesan and you see that in that film kalapani where she has this great working relationship with the hero and she is in love with him but he's in love with somebody else and but she ends up she's still there and she's fine after the 1970s this begins to change as i said not completely change but many famous movies change it and i think pakiza again is the example it changes it that she has to be a virgin if she has to get married and so you have in pakiza the elephants and the snakes and all those coming to her rescue to prevent her losing her virginity so that she can then marry at the end so virginity and marriage physical virginity now that was not the case earlier look at a film called like sadhana with vijanti mala now she is nobody says she's not a virgin she was raped when she was young and she's working as a courtesan but she still marries him now her mother in law is very unwilling to accept her but ultimately her mother in law accepts her then you have that scene where her mother in law holds her hand and stops her from leaving and says no you entered this house and now you can't leave it as a you can't go back to that life so you could have that and even in the 80s there are one or two films there are films where that happens but mostly from this late 70s 80s onward what happens is that either the wife dies at the end if she's non virgin she dies at the end if she's virgin she gets married yeah other ending like she just remains at the wife happily sometimes it happens in ishakzade ishakzade a late film in the 21st century that there's that very helpful the wife who helps him to helps the couple to get married but she remains she's not the i don't think the word the wife is used she's a dancer but she is presented in every way as a the wife she's living in a the wife type household etc she's living in that type of household and she remains in that she doesn't get married and she doesn't die but most of the films go in one of those two directions yeah it did hit me that why would that sort of ending be 
portrayed like why why would we have more films with those sort of portrayals and not have the portrayal where you know that the wife has chosen that she wants to remain in what she's doing and she's happy because this is something you also talk about that a lot of courtesans were also born into profession whereas in films the portrayal has been shown that oh they were either traffic or something happened or they got lost or they got raped and hence as a consequence of that they became courtesans yeah. whereas that was not the reality they were born into it and they were trained by say some of the best gurus and dancers yeah. of that time i'm still sort of wondering as to why i mean just your opinion on it if that's possible as to why this would have even like why why would they want to sort of have these narratives in the first place like why why wouldn't they want to stick to what was the reality or what what history also tells us marriage or death kind of thing well to some extent any literary text whether it's a movie or it's a book is influenced by the tradition the literary tradition and marriage or death become the endings not just for the wife but for many characters in movies they either commit joint suicide at the end or they get married at the end yeah think of many movies like bobby and so many of the love stories or look at mughalayazam now mughalayazam which i which it took me a long time to realize but it's rather amusing is that the whole thing is that the salim has to marry her or he has to, or she has to die some marriage or death is the old other only choices of course in the time as it was and this is the result of monogamy being being exalted as after the 50s as the only thing and the western influence so now of course akbar didn't have just one wife you know that's how he's portrayed in all these movies he had many wives all the kings businessmen nobility etc hindu muslim everybody uh, sikh had more than one wife but no all the other wives disappear akbar is totally monogamous and then salim has to be totally monogamous too he has to either marry her or they have to both die or she has something like that why in real life he would have married her as a third as a fifth sixth seventh they had like dozens of you married her as a 12th wife and that would be fine she would still have a status but the first wife has to be a princess but the 15th doesn't and many kings and emperors they managed they actually married the wives it's in the list that i have looked at where the name is actually used so and so the wife she in the wife or whatever but that option is just not depicted at all and nobody thinks of it because we are so used to this monogamous norm that we import it back into history and be as <laughs> if it was either marriage or death so that's one reason i think the other thing is yeah turning the tawaf into a romantic heroine so she has to then for the romantic heroine to it's that way it's either marriage or death and in fact for many romantic heroes it's that way either they were to marry the girl they want or they were to kill themselves so it's fitting her into that same mold so yeah i think to some extent and and you're quite right as i had also pointed out that most of the courtesans in movies and that goes back i should say a long way to the 40s and 50s too most of them are shown as trafficked and this is our modern preoccupation with trafficking but in fact they were in a profession like in any other profession most lawyers children become lawyers even yeah. today right so they were in the profession they were being trained as musicians train their children to be musicians they were being trained in all the arts and even they were the children of the family they were not mostly there were some examples but they were not mostly being raped and turned into victims of becoming the wives that's not for how it is again it's a consequence of the overlapping of sex work movies show sex work and the wife is the same thing and hence all the confusion to some extent i think yeah yeah it was very fascinating when i was reading it because it was like almost you're right i mean the monogamous structures are so sort of ingrained in us that we also don't see how it's affecting the way we are seeing different characters in the film you also were talking about how even like saying the word tawaif gives it a sort of a muslim or islamic connotation whereas it's not really true where and you also talk about it in one of the chapters that they're not just muslims they're of different religions 
But why do you think that that connotation has stayed on with us? Why do you think that we always associate courtesans as of a specific religion only? Just something I was, I just was curious about. It's because of cinema. Cinema, Bombay movies, and I'm sure other movies too, but Bombay movies for sure, were obsessed with the Mughals. And so that's all they show you. There were, Orcha had Hindu kings. There was a famous Tawaif there. There was a king's Tawaif and she had a whole palace there. If you go to Orcha, you see it. But who makes a movie about that? So all the movies are about Mughals and the glamour of the Mughals and the courtesan is part of that glamour of the Mughals. It's not just Mughalism, there are many others, right? So that's one where we associate directly with the Mughals and then we associate the Mughals with Muslim and that's how it is. And the other way we associate with Islam is because of these three, four films, Umrao Jan, Pakiza, that's how Devdas is also, she's there, but that's not treated as one of the topics. Devdas is treated mostly about his misery and so on. It doesn't focus on my Vimala so much. But the famous courtesan movies are Pakiza and Umrao Jan. Right and Mughalism, and so all of them are Muslims in those. And that though, when you say the wife, that statement that comes in your head, Rekha too, in several of the movies, portrayed as Muslim. So that's why. But if you do an actual count, like I did, the majority of them, I would say that disproportionately there are more Muslims. Disproportionately to the population, there are more Muslims shown as the wives in movies. But still, the majority of characters shown in movies are Hindu, and they're not just Hindu by name; they are Hindu practicing Hindus. They are performing puja, they are going to the temple. Amal Prem, you see this, but there are many other movies where you see that she says, I'm fasting on Tuesday, so I'm not working on Tuesday, I'm not that, you know. So they are shown performing all these things. And now in actual life, the, the wives very often had sort of hybrid practices. They would celebrate in Lucknow at least, and I don't know about all cities, but they would sing Marsiyas at Muharram, but they would also, you know, celebrate Diwali and Holi. And as I said, they had customers. In one movie, the lady in charge actually says that very nicely. Oh, we, are, we are deal with all comms, all the men of all comms, all religions come to us so we we don't make any distinctions like that right so they were used to mixing with all types of people and coming from different types of backgrounds living in mixed households and i actually i wrote this novel called memory of light a year ago and and that i tried to depict this very hybrid life of the of the kavaiyas in particular i won't say the whole city but of we often think of this ganga jamuna karchi as if the whole city was happily hybrid like that no hindus and muslims are living very separate lives in separate they, they met they had friendships but they didn't marry and they didn't usually eat together and when they invited you invite the other community to a wedding you have a separate cook and a separate set of food and all that for them and they didn't usually meet the women of the other community so if you were a hindu you wouldn't meet them your Muslim best friends by very rarely and the other way around too. So yeah, it was pretty divided, but the Kotha is the exception. The Kotha is the place where people of men of all religions come and they meet each other as well as the women. So they're all friends there. And the Kota is the place where the women too are from mixed backgrounds because their fathers are from different communities, right? That is the real place where there is now. If you don't want to accept that, we won't want to say, oh, the real symbolism is in the Kota because we think, still think of the Kota as a negative place, right? So we want to say the whole society was sectarian, and of course it wasn't. Yeah, so the court to some extent, our court to some extent was syncretic. Again, have much more Muslim than Hindu, but it had, of course the king celebrated Holi and Diwali and so on. But the Kota is the real, I would say, much more hybrid place. Yeah. Movies do show that. The movies do show that, I have to say. They do show the women doing various things, the Muslim wives wearing saris and bindis, which they did, as well as Garadas and the Hindu women wearing uh, different types of costumes to dance, the costume, but also wearing a sari as well. I mean, you know, various things. So they do show that rather well. Yeah, I think the point about Umrahjan and Mughalism makes a lot of sense to me as well because, like I mentioned earlier, as a Kathak dancer, these are the two films also that kind of stand out. That oh, this is what it looks like, and this is what it means. And so also the criticism that we would face or I would face 
and some of my friends who were also practicing it much more rigorously than i was faced similar sort of issues kare nachne gaane wali aa gayi to isko bas nachwa do aur khatam kar do whereas what you also talk about that they were intellectual beings who were trained professionally into singing dancing they would also play instruments much early on i think that was something it got lost in translation while as time went by just to move a little bit away from the subject of the book i was actually curious about you looked into like 235 films mm-hmm. what were the kind of challenges in that process and how did you manage to sort of compile all of that data into almost very succinct sort of chapters and you know divide it and take us on this journey of how like it's almost like you know you're peeling one layer after the other as you read the book so yes. how was that process like for you it is an immense amount of work because i made detailed notes on every film and that's a lot of work and i should say there were a lot of bad movies i watched overall bad movies but they had some each one of them had some one interesting feature one interesting moment and that made it worth well and so i got thanks to youtube i got a lot of the movies on youtube and other internet sources but then i also borrowed films from people's in the private collections like selin's private collection one or two films i really wanted to see i with nutan for example never acted at all only once and she was a poet in and at all in that movie and i couldn't get hold of that film and finally i got it from somebody's i think selin got it from somebody's private collection in jaipur or wherever so that was the way and of course 235 is the tip of the iceberg there are 100 there are hundreds more from those decades so yeah but i i had to stop somewhere i would keep trying to stop and then i would find more and more and more take rekha for example like when you say rekha you need to think of umrao jan and uh, to the muzaffar you know one of the famous films you see her as the guy but she acted as the wife in many many films many of the other movies including big grade movies where she was acting as a hindu girl she was acting as a hindu wife so in these famous one she's a muslim and that is the picture that comes in one's mind but there were many others where she was a hindu as well so yeah exactly so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i also sort of wanted to kind of just throw in this whole question of like when you were sort of watching these films and you said you know many were quite bad and some were you wanted to watch them out of all the detailed notes and every research thing that you did what were some of the like say your top picks in terms of the differences that you found that were very interesting for you and something that you sort of enjoyed writing about as well amar prem is one of my favorites uh, for various reasons i really had to search for this movie but mehndi 1958 is the first re- first movie which shows umrao jan's story the actually that name umrao and the differences between that and the later two umrao jan's the mehndi is a forgotten film were very interesting and there were lots of them hema balani acted many times there were also certain songs i really liked the naya dor in 1957 there's just that one song by the two dancing girls the nashne walis and which is basically sort of a cross dress thing but basically they they look like two women and they are kind of wooing each other they are flirting with each other so that was a one sort of lesbian moment and there are these moments in certain films of course i love the sri kasam the sri kasam and uh, what goes on there you see her as a you know making choices actively making choices about whether she wants to marry him or whether she wants to stay with her company and she also talks about her ambition how she enjoys being on the stage and in the lights etc she's not being dragged there and forced there and into it as many later movies show but she enjoys the attention and the adulation and all that at the same time she might sleep with various men but she doesn't want to be when she has a choice when that man tries to rape her or seduce a village man she refuses that right so those were some films i really liked i really liked mamta you were talking earlier about in amar prem the relationship she has with rajesh khanna that figure anand babu what i liked about movies like that and about mamta are the ambiguous nature of the relationship there are clues in the movie going both ways are they having a sexual relationship or are they not the movie is not focused on that it's not interested in that 
It's interested in the love between them. At the end of Amar Prem, on the screen comes, this is immortal love. This is Amar Prem. And in Mamta too, you know, so you see her, him in her bedroom, standing in the doorway, smoking a cigarette, very relaxed in the house. At the same time, you never see anything that is explicitly showing that they have spent the night together, that had sex. Same with Amar Prem. And then there are clues in the language where she says in the end of Amar Prem, you have always given and never taken anything. In the language of Hindi, if he had had sex with her, she would not say that most likely, because then he has, she has given him something. But she says, I've never, nobody has ever given you anything I want me to give. So there are clues there, but what's interesting to me is that it is not focused on that, as many later films become focused on that, like Pakiza. Is she having sex? Is she not having sex? She's freaking out. Elephants and snakes are stopping her from having sex. It's not important. Love is what is important. And I think, well, one of the great strengths of Bombay movies is it's elevation of love, all kinds of love between parents and children, between brothers and sisters, between brothers and brothers, between male friends, between. So love is what is important. And that is why I think a lot of LGBT people have been so fond of Bombay movies. I used to wonder about this earlier on. I used to think they're so heteronormative and why are so many gay men so fond of them? And I realized over time, as Shohini Ghosh has suggested, that it's because they elevate love above everything else, that everything is worth sacrificing for love, any kind of love. And that is what the Kotazan movies also do. So it's the love, the bond between the two, where in Mamta, for example, he brings up her child as his adopted child. He's a lawyer and she becomes a lawyer, not a courtesan, right? But she's not his biological child. But it doesn't matter. He does it for love of the mother. And then he, of course, loves the daughter too after bringing her up. Yeah, that was interesting. As you were talking, just a question that popped in my head that I think I, I forgot to ask as I was listening to you. There's a section where you talk about how the courtesan and the quota was played a very big role in, say, the freedom movement, something that we don't really, I think it's still the 1857 revolt and how that, that entire space plays a very big role. Can you talk a little bit about history versus portrayal? Because I think you've mentioned that it's, there's a mention of it in Mangal Pandey. The mm-hmm. film where there is it's shown that the role of Hirabai played by Rani Mukherjee is very explicitly talking about her, you know, contribution and her role in, in that entire movement. Could you talk a little bit about, say, what history tells us in terms of what role that space and the courtesans played? And then therefore, did it even get portrayed, not get portrayed, or what really happened there? Well, several people have written about it recently. Several people have written about it. I think Sabanakri is one and others have written about it. I don't want to exaggerate that. I don't think that it was all over the place and there were major players. They were players, but not the most important players. And they were related to, they were having relationships with these various men who were nationalists of different kind. And as time, especially in the early 20th century, but then they were in the actual national movement begins. All groups want to distance themselves. As we know, Gandhi famously said that he wouldn't take their donations unless they left the profession, which they couldn't do. That's where they were getting the money from, right? So they were kept at a distance. In 1857, yes, they probably participated. Though again, I, I don't know about the scale. You know, there were there are a few important women who do certain things and they are sympathetic, but whether how much they actually in terms of numbers and proportions, it's not probably not as large. But what I'm interested in is how in the movies they become symbols of the nation, just as in Mother India, the woman becomes a symbol of the nation. That happens in other movies. And one of my favorites of that for that is this film called Burning Train, which was a very high budget movie at the time. There's only a one, there's a brief Tawai's moment, but on Achnevali moment, she's not called a Tawai, where this woman called Ramkali is and she's in a red sari and she, so which is a bridal color, but which is also the color of uh, passion and so on. And she sings this song in which the whole, all the passengers join. And it's a song about hedonism and living for the moment. And all the passengers who include Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, Christians, they all join and all classes and so on, they all join. 
But when the train starts burning, then they need, then her role changes and she becomes a symbol of the nation in a very Mother India kind of way because they have to throw a red cloth out of, as a signal to the authorities, out of the train to say that they are receiving the radio messages. And the bride baby who is there in Chunni is not willing to give the symbol of her sohag. And then Ramkali takes off her sari and she says, I don't have any sohag and I won't have any sohag, so, but I want to save everybody's life and so use this. And when she takes off the sari, this very dignified moment, and I've called it kind of inverted or reverse property moment, because instead of being stripped, she takes it off herself and she gives it to save everybody's life, right? And at the end of the movie, she's briefly shown again when everybody's singing another sort of national Christian prayer, basically, to save them. She's holding the baby that has been born on the train. So it's not her baby, but she's holding the baby. And so she becomes this kind of mother India figure to some extent. So, yeah, and there are many movies in which the courtesan is seen as a goddess figure, is shown as a goddess figure and is shown as a figure of the as part of the nation. In one movie, she says, I'm also part of the nation. Like this guy says to her, which is this movie, yeah. Sadhana, he said he's trying to tell his students that courtesans are bad and so on. And then he falls in love with the courtesan. But he says, you know, that they are brave. And then at a certain point, I think he's told that she's also part of the nation. And he realizes that. And more than one movie makes that kind of statement. Yeah, I just have the book with me. I think the opening lines that you used in the chapter Nation was from the film Sharafat. The male college teacher to Tawai, if these boys are the future of this country, please swear, spare them. And the Tawai says, I'm also something to this country. Yeah. She was the same age as those male students. You know, Charafat, she's a young girl who's at the same age as those male students and she wants to study too. And then he realizes that he should teach her. And so she starts coming to his house and he teaches her. And there's a picture of Saraswati on the wall. He's teaching her. So, so she's also, why shouldn't she be a student? And, you know, yeah, that was that was the movie it was from. And Sadhana too, he's a teacher. And then he's teaching Vasansena. He's teaching the ancient India. And he's talking about, and the students are asking questions like, can she be a patriot? Is she mother? And he's ambiguous and confused about it. Right. What do you want the readers to take away from this book? What kind of conversations are you hoping that people would start having after they read this book of yours? <laughs> oh, well, I can't. <laughs> I don't know. But I guess just a corrective to the stereotype we all grew up, we all have, that we got from movies. But to realize that the movies, one thing is that the movies are much more complex than they're made out to be. There's many more movies than we realize. It's not just a few famous ones that shape things. And there are movies that were famous at the time that we've forgotten now, but the songs may still alive, like Sabah Sekhado from Bank Manager. Everybody's forgotten the movie, but the song everyone knows, right? So to realize that the movies did, I think, a great job They've, on many issues. And the whole body of the movies is much more complex than it is made out to be. And so courtesans and women generally are not just presented as sex objects. I don't think so at all. It's a whole different question of whether you can be in love with someone without objectifying them. Of course, they are sex, your sex object. <laughs> when you're in love with someone, you, it's a mutual objectification that has to take place. But apart from that, I think Bombay Cinema did a great job, a mixed job. It's not all great. And there's a lot of very annoying stuff in Bombay Cinema. But portraying them as working women, single women, adopted mothers, chosen families. So that's one thing. And I also talked about male allies. You know, the male, the brother of the courtesan, for example, the hijra friend, for example, in Mangal Pandey, the hijras. So all of that, but also, yeah, how much these women, that there were women, because there's this tendency to generalize about women in India's past as if they were all submissive wives till the West came along and turned everybody educated. No, there were other many groups of women. There were princesses, there were queens, there were noble women, there were educated women, there were mystics, there were bhakti poets, there were all of these people, there were yogis, there were wandering women, there were sadhris, there were so many. And there are also courtesans who actually have a very long history in India, going back to ancient India, it's changes and there are lots of discontinuities and there are different types of courtesans, but they have been a continuous presence in the urban environment. 
and they have shaped country as such as Guru have, have shaped the national imagination, have shaped the culture. And to realize that, and that cinema does portray that to some extent. And so, yeah, I think those are the two things. Okay. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.